Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela. And I'm Lori, and today we have a fun episode for you. This is an episode created and co-produced by one of our Patreon members. Yes. So thank you, Danielle, for submitting your idea, and to all the Patreon members for voting on your favorite podcast topic. So what's the topic today, Daniela? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Lori. (laughs) It's all about pricing strategies, how we dictate a price for an item, how to research items, and how we figure out what our bottom line is on each item that we sell. Mm, Fun. All right, let's get started, everyone. We'll see you at the table. I like this having Patreon members pick a, a topic because one, we don't have to worry about one episode topic a month, right? Like that's always nice. And two, we get feedback from our actual listeners and what they want. And I don't know about. that we would have ever come up with this. Nope. We definitely wouldn't have. I think we've touched on like, we've touched on this here and there in episodes, but this is- We always talk about great. pricing in some format, but we don't mm-hmm. really just like hit it head on, you know? Yeah. And now we don't have a choice but to hit it head on. Yeah. (laughs) So we decided that we were going to like take a different, um, we were trying to decide how we would best um, articulate our pricing strategies Mm -hmm. without it being too boring or like we weren't really sure where to take this. Um, So we decided that we were going to look at some of our recent listings and just Mm -hmm. go off of that because- I don't know. That's, that's real life. So we we take some recent listings and just discuss our whys and yeah, hopefully that will be helpful. Yeah. And we'll, we'll try to pick different types of items like retail arbitrage, the tag, um, vintage, whatever. I don't have that many vintage pieces, so I can't really speak to vintage, but, um, I know Lori has a few, so yeah, we'll just kind of go from there. Uh, the first piece that I want to talk about, and I have like some like bullet points that we'll touch on. So like the first piece I'm talking about, it's new tag item, it's retail arbitrage. And I know Lori, you have a retail arbitrage item as well yeah. that um, you can speak to. And I think we've talked about retail arbitrage in length and other episodes, but when you're sourcing retail arbitrage, it just, it's just a different animal. It's a totally different beast. Mm-hmm. Price points are different. Sometimes you can hit it really well and you, you can get things at thrift store prices. Um, but there's a little more work and a little more research that goes behind it. And your pricing strategy and your profit margin also changes as well. Um, sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes you break That's even. Sometimes, that. yeah, you make maybe $10. (laughs) And that's just the way it is. It's it's, retail arbitrage is just different. So Lori, when, when you do retail arbitrage, what are like your must have things you look for while you're, while you're sourcing the retail store? Or like, is there something in particular that you're always going towards when you're sourcing in a retail store? Um, I, I mean, I usually hit the sale rack first and foremost. I, I rarely, I'm really rarely buying something at full price. I don't know if that goes without saying, but I'm usually looking for clearance and then, and then a percentage off the clearance, like something that's going to make it worthwhile. Um, recently I did like a Madewell order online and it was like 40% off sale stuff. And even at that, cause I've been burnt on some Madewell yeah. retail arbitrage. I, I did some RA for good American a couple of years ago, still sitting on some of that. You do have to be careful because even if it's a really good price, if the comps, if the sold comps aren't there, or if it's super saturated, or if it's just an undesirable item, like it can be 10 cents and well, if it's 10 cents, then it's worth it. Right. Because you're not paying, right. much. but 
when I'm paying like even over $10 for like a Madewell shirt, if it's only going to sell for 28, right. You know, or even 30 and then Poshmark takes $6 that leaves me with 22. If I paid 10, all right, well, I've doubled my money, but I'm putting up more capital. So um, if I'm going to put money up front, I usually want to make sure that it's almost worth paying up for like higher quality items that the return's going to be yeah. a little bit better, you know, that I'm making 30, 40, $50 back. Um, because like just a $10 return or 12, 15 on an RA, it's like, ah, I, I, I might've done better at the bins, you know? So you just have to be careful. Usually I'm looking for hotter items, like always looking for Levi's right now. I, I, I picked up a few pairs yesterday and they were on clearance. So that's great. Um, but you got to watch out for saturation. That's something I have to look look out for. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think for me, when I'm in the retail store categories, what matters most to me, and this is where like pricing strategies gets tricky. And that's why Lori and I are, you know, going to give examples of items that are in our closets, our personal closets, because this can vary across the board, right? Like I'm going to, most of the stuff that I'm going to pick up is going to be denim, um, coats, jackets, jeans, shoes, like those are really the things that I focus on. On occasion, I may pick up uh, dresses, but it's got to be a really special dress for me to pick up retail arbitrage. I just don't want to sit on an item like that. Um, So I definitely look at price as well, but I'm also, I have learned with time and experience that sometimes it's worth it to pay that higher price in the retail store because it's either an item that's no longer available on a website or it's still a hot piece that people are looking for and you just can't find it anywhere or maybe it's very select sizes that are available online still and you found that one size that's sold out everywhere. Mm -hmm. And let's say that, for example, um, I can go back to my Nordstrom Rack haul that I did last year when everything started to reopen and I found two pairs of Burberry loafers and I was so afraid to pay up and pay that $100 for each pair because that was the most I'd ever spent on a piece. And yeah. I sold yeah. both of them, one for three fifty dollars and one for 400 So like, yes, the initial investment was huge, but I did so much research in the store to make sure like, okay, these aren't available any, anywhere anymore. People are looking for them. There was a lot of um, in search of online. So like I knew that spending the 200 would be worth it in the end. Right. But again, this comes, this comes with experience and it just requires a lot of research. So retail arbitrage sometimes, like you just need to be ready to take that risk and not everyone's there and that's fine. And not everybody enjoys it. I mean, I don't enjoy RA as much. Like I enjoy the hunt and, and I, and I say a lot for me, um, I, I don't know. I still find things at the bins that, you know, if I, if I, if I spend a dollar or two on it, and it flips for 40, which is pretty common, um, you know, then, then I'm making all that in profit. And for a lot of people, that $200 investment is a problem. It's a, it's a capital thing up front. You know, there are people on strict budget. So you really just have to figure out what bucket you fall into and what you're comfortable with. Maybe you love luxury. Like I know Daniela loves luxury. I, I love it too. I, I don't think I study it as much. Um, so therefore I don't think I'm as good of an RA buyer. Um, I'm more of an emotional shopper and that's kind of burnt me a couple of times, but like last year I bought like 10 Madewell, um, turtlenecks. And I remember when I first bought them, I think I paid five or $6 per, per piece. 
and thinking, oh, this is amazing. And then I sat on them for quite some time, but I bought them in the summer. And then October, November came around and every single one of them sold. And I would say that they sold about, they were about $25. That was like the average selling price, I'm guessing, which in the long run ended up being a good purchase because it was just one listing I had to make. So that's when RA can be kind of fun too, is if you can get multiples of something and you're only doing one listing and it just keeps paying you, you know, and that's kind of how we shop for Amazon too. You're looking at a skew more than you're looking at what the return is on one. You're saying if, if my investment is X amount, but I'm buying 20 of them, I may only be making $15 per item, but that's times 20 and I'm only doing the work for one. So that's kind of a perk of RA if you find multiples too. Yeah, that's kind of my thought process with all the Levi's that I just found, which is basically all my new tag stuff that I have right now. Yeah, And I also found a bunch that were marked down, so which helped even more with my cost of goods. My average cost of goods for all the Levi's stuff that I have, including um, the denim jackets that I've been finding, has been between 12 to $15. So that's worth it to me when most of these pieces are $98 or above retail, which right. I think, you know, when it comes to pricing, and this is kind of where we can go into it, when it comes to new tag, yeah, the price might be 98 or it might be 108 or it might be 150 but the resale doesn't necessarily coincide, even if it's a new item that just was released in stores, like that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, it's what people are willing to pay and what the trend seems to be for that specific piece. Like some of these Levi pieces were marked down at Aritzia or they were marked down on Revolve or they were marked down at Nordstrom. And that changes the value of it, especially if it's still available on those websites. At the discounted price. Yeah. I mean, I went school back to school shopping with Angelina yesterday and she, she tried on a pair of, um, Levi's 501s. Um, she's like, I just want like one little split in the knee. I don't want destroyed, but I do want a little bit and I want a little distressing and I want a wide leg. And she tried them on and they were $135 at Urban Outfitters. Luckily she didn't love them. Um, well, that's the other thing with Levi's is I think you have to try them on because you you know, she was between a 26 and the 27. She couldn't get the 26 up or they were really uncomfortable and the 27s were big in her waist. So that's why we didn't get them. So I'm like, let's go to Burlington Coat Factory and just see what they have. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have her size. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, am I going to pay $135 for these jeans if she likes them? So then we're looking on Poshmark to see what they're selling for. Um, But it was interesting shopping with her to just see what she was going for and how much money it is retail. It's crazy. It's crazy because, so I'll talk to, I'll I'll speak about these Levi 501s that I just listed. So um, uh, they retail for $98. They're the 501 skinny. They have a button fly, um, no distressing on the, on these jeans. And the average going price for them, new at tag is between 50 and 65, but I've priced them at $85 because one, I always inflate my price when it's new at tag because I have to account, especially on Poshmark, I have to account for offers, discounted shipping, like all these different things that are going to come up. So if I haven't priced to 85, more than likely I'm going to sell them between 55 and 60 is my guess, maybe even 50. Um, there might be discounted shipping involved in that. And I paid $12 a pair. So, you know, really, you know, it's still a good profit. I'm still doubling, right? I'm in a little bit more, but I just... I'm pricing it higher when it's new at tags, knowing full well, I'm, I'm probably not going to sell it 
for that amount, unless someone comes along and really wants them and can't find them anywhere else, then I might get a full price sale, but it's probably going to be in that 50 to $60 range. Right. And I picked up two of those yesterday too, and they were on clearance. Um, 10 bucks. Yeah. But then I get a little nervous because Angie was like, nah, because they did have those in her size, but she doesn't want the skinnies. And Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, interesting. And then, um, you know, and I think Levi's is one of those things. A lot of resellers are talking about it. And is it going to get saturated now? I don't know. You know what I mean? And this is, um, we talked a little bit about this too, like just when something's a buzz and how quickly And so that's where you can, that's where, you know, you have to be careful with retail arbitrage, but retail arbitrage is beautiful to not have to worry about flaws and things like that. If you use stock photos, they're readily available. They help sell the product sometime. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot. Um, But yeah, that, that's interesting. So do you have a specific item that you've listed and like where you've priced it at? Yeah. So that was the 501s that I just talked about. The oh, you listed them for 85. So I have a really just a tiny little uh, RA thing because I'm, I'm going by my, my most recent stuff. I have a pair of Madewell earrings. They're little chain drop stud earrings. They're super cute. I got them on that 40% off sale. I think I paid four or $5 for them tops. All right. They were listed at 24. So it's not going to be a huge thing. This was something I wanted to be able to cross post over to eBay and mm-hmm. be able to do like $2 shipping, $3 right. shipping. Super on. cheap shipping. When I was in Madewell, funny enough, they're sold out online. Um, but in the Madewell store, they were on the sale rack where you got 25% off, but they were priced at $17. Oh, so I'm like, well, they're kind of comparable. So I have them priced at $22. It's not going to be a big profit, but um, they were cute. And I was like, ah, maybe Angie will like them. One of those things. So this is kind right. of the, this is not this, they'll probably sell for $18. I'll probably make about 10 bucks on them when all is said and done. I feel like though, when it comes to pricing and retail arbitrage, it's something that sometimes it's just nice to have new tag items in your closet because it attracts certain buyer to your closet so sometimes it's not so much about making a huge profit on retail arbitrage and you're in and it's not so much worrying about the pricing structure or strategy behind it it's like the attention that you get yeah and I do have a lot of Madewell in my closet I like to pick up Madewell it's it's a new Madewell brand it's a nice add-on for somebody if somebody's doing a bundle something like that it's also easy to store like as we know I have an abundance of um, inventory so in this particular I ordered some silk scarves um, at Evernorth Health Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Um, on the same thing, uh, they were priced at like $25 and I think I paid like four, same thing. So they're not going to be big turnovers, um, big profit, but yeah. So would you enough say, about RA. Would you say that you, okay. no, regardless RA or not, um, you're doing research no matter what on these pieces, right? Or are there instances where you don't research and you just price it just however you want? 
Yeah, there are, there are instances when I do that. Um, and then sometimes I'll have to check myself. Like, are you like totally off your rocker pricing this one, Lori? And I'll look at solds and stuff. And I feel like I have a decent gauge on stuff. Like for example, to, to go into the next item, um, do you, do you um, comp everything? No, I don't. Um, I, and I, it, maybe it comes with experience too. When I first started, I definitely looked at comps for every little thing. Um, and I think I've just learned who my buyer is, like who the shopper is that's coming into my closet and what people are willing to pay for certain pieces. But then I also know the value of certain pieces that I'm picking up. Like if it's very unique and it's different or it's vintage or it's a, like a, a, just a great leather piece or something about it is unique, I just kind of have fun and price it and see what happens. Yeah, well, sometimes if you don't have the prompts, you can do whatever you want with it. Like the Lily Pulitzer dress that I listed, um, I couldn't find really great comps on it. And I got an offer on it right away when I priced it high. And so then I was like, well, maybe this is something even more special than I know. So I put it up for auction and we're going to see how it does. So sometimes if you don't know and you can't find the comps, that might be a good time for auction. And then you you start your auction at the price you'd be willing to let it go for. And then you go from there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so today I actually did do some research. I, I found a pair of cut from the cloth Nia high rise skinny mm-hmm. jeans in that little pit of clothing, um, that I, garment all that went up today. Um, so I only paid a dollar 58 per item and these were new with tag. Um, so I got them home and I, I went to list them today and not knowing much about the brand cut from cloth. I was, I was thinking about listing them new with tag for like, because I'm like, I don't know if this is a really popular brand. And then it was on the current websites for $89, these jeans. And then some of the comps were as high as $60. I mean, I think on average, the selling comps were between like 35 and 40, 42 ish, you know, but for the new with tag stuff, I mean, it was there were a lot that were in that mid 40 range. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to start them at 35. Like I was thinking I was going to, if, Mm -hmm. if I'm seeing sold comps. So, I mean, I still price them lower than a lot of new with tag because my cost of goods was so low. Right. And that's a different strategy too. You know, I have a lot of inventory right now. I want to move shit. I don't want to hold onto it forever. Pardon my language. So I, Price them at $48. And, you know, honestly, if I got a $35 offer, I would take it in a second. I think there's something to be said about that too when it comes to pricing strategies. Um, if your buy-in cost is so low and you see this across the board with like high volume sellers, if they're going to the bins all the time and they're paying like a dollar per piece or less, they're generally pricing their items at a lower price point, unless it's something super rare, like there's always those instances, right, where things can be priced higher. But like, if you look at even like a local shoe seller that we have here in New England, um, Renzi, so Ryan and Lindsay, Mm -hmm. they generally price their shoes at a very affordable rate between like that 30 and $50 mark. And they're Mm -hmm. selling them typically for full asking price because their price point is so low and their buy-in cost is so low. So there's something to be said about that too. Strategy. I mean, some people use that strategy to like look at everything and price a little bit lower. I look at everything and I price middle high. I don't want to be the most expensive person, but I definitely don't want to be the lowest because I'm not a short-term seller. I don't mind holding on to stuff for a while. So I don't mind pricing it. Um, And I also we can talk about this too, but like, just to briefly touch on it, like I, I work hard on my photographs. 
-hmm. and um, my whole brand in general. So sometimes I feel like, you know, you can charge a little bit more if you have good quality pictures and you're taking measurements and you're including fabric content and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, this came up in our Patreon call too. And I think there's just, there's something to be said about um, how you present your brand. So we can use an example from the community. If people that listen know Isa from the Global Collective Co, mm -hmm. her brand is luxury and she spends a lot of time on photographs and making sure everything is perfect. And there are people out there that sell luxury, not for a, you know, for a lower amount. And she just commands a higher dollar amount because she puts the time and effort to clean everything. And, you know, it's just, it's her time that she's putting into it and her stuff sells. I mean, there's yeah. a, I love a her post, everyone. the post that has like these, these shoes sold for this amount. And these mm -hmm. are the photographs. These are my shoes. And this is what I sold them for. And these are my photographs. And it's a stark difference in price Correct. and in presentation. So yeah, but some people don't, some people hate the photograph part. So they're right. probably not going to command that price, but maybe they just want to bang their stuff out, you know? Correct. And I, and I think this is where pricing strategies gets tricky for us to really, you know, we, we can't give definitive answers to any of this stuff. We're just giving like examples and what we do because pricing strategies is so, it, it's, it's not only different for each person, but it depends on your business model. It's really dictated by your business model and what's most important to you. Is it just doubling your money and kind of moving things and you're creating a cash flow that way? Or is it holding out on items and getting the top, the most that you can for each piece? And for everyone, it's different. And sometimes it's a mix of both. I'm definitely a mix of both. I, I don't. Oh, for sure. Same. And I even think we're evolving every day. And so my pricing yeah. strategy a year ago is different than it is today. And it will probably Absolutely. be different in six months. You know, I have like a, a core, certain things that I stick to mm -hmm. generally. Um, but I mean, we had this whole episode last week about to source or not to source. And then, you know, there I was sitting in a pile of clothes the next day, <laughs> buying things I didn't need. You know what I mean? So like sometimes the, the best laid plans are out the window. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I did only buy 29 items that day. Very good. You said 25. <laughs> so I'm proud of you. <laughs> 25. Right. And, but, but I have one shirt going to Anthony, a pair of shorts to Jay three shirts to Rocco. Well, I mean, I really think I stuck to my 25 <laughs> and I got a pair of Allbirds that sold right away and paid for everything. So like I was good. good. Um, but it was hard for me. I ended up, you know, cause when you, the thing about when you're in the bins, everything's going to make you money. It may take a while, but if you price it right, nine out of the 10 things, I mean, if you have some experience with reselling is going to sell eventually and make you money. And so it, then it becomes like, how much work do you, you know, how, how many photographs do you want to take? Do you want to take home? Like I probably, oh my gosh, I probably passed on 12 pairs of American Eagle because, you know, they were okay, but they were a little bit dated or there was a, there was one tiny flaw. Like I just didn't want to take them home with me. Just didn't want to take them home. Speaking of American Eagle, before I talk about the item that that's um, ne next on my list, when I was in TJ Maxx, because TJ Maxx has American Eagle, they sell mm -hmm. them in the junior section, mm -hmm. right? This, um, it was a mother-daughter duo, and they were shopping for back to school, and the mom was like, oh, look at these American Eagle jeans, they're a mom jean or whatever, and the girl looked at her mom and said, mom, no one wears American Eagle anymore, that's why they're in TJ Maxx, and walked away, and I was like, interesting note to like, self does the current generation not look at American Eagle the same way 
that maybe the last generation did. Even five years ago. I mean, it's funny because when I was with Ann, she wanted Levi's and then we went to American Eagle. She's like, you know what? I don't, I don't really care, mom. Like, I just want a pair that looks good on me. So as much as I want Levi's, I don't really care all that much. So why don't we look at American Eagle? So I said, okay, Mm -hmm. Angie's not a big brand person. I feel like she always looks adorable, but she's just not like, yeah, she knows what she likes. Um, like I said, we were in Urban Outfitters and she bought three tank tops and it cost $65 for three ribbed cropped tank tops at Urban Outfitters that I probably would have passed on in the bins. And I mean, we looked at everything and that's yeah. what she picked. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, but anyways, uh, and then we went into Hollister, which she never goes in. She's like, my college roommate swears by Hollister. Right. Hollister's having a moment though. Like I feel like Hollister, and Abercrombie are making a comeback. Well, because they're Y two K brands, that's why. Because they were so crazy. big in Y two K, and I mean, that's what I'm guessing. But yeah. anyways, we went into American Eagle, and everything was shredded. Like they were just shredded jeans, really? or they had no distressing at all. And Angie's like, they're, they're just too extreme. I'm sure I would like the fit of a lot of these, but I don't want them ripped from top to bottom, mm-hmm. and I don't want plain. So we passed. She Thank didn't get any jeans. We, we ended up not getting jeans. We, we went to a lot of places looking for jeans for her. Huh. That's very so. interesting. Yeah, I feel like American Eagle is either super distressed or it's like a mom jean, straight jean, dad jean kind of vibe. It's like one or the other. They don't and really I have find a- like a ton of their like jeggings and yeah. those are pretty dead. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, I'll talk about my next piece here and it's actually an item that that sold within a day but I do want to mention it because I think it's a brand that people myself included pass on all the time like I'll buy it for myself but I won't necessarily buy it for resale and it's the Banana Republic long and lean um, blazer that I just sold it was Banana Republic like not the outlet regular Banana Republic from the re- from like a retail store. Um, it was new at Tag. It was a size 20, which I think probably helped in this sale. Oh, sure. But when I picked it up, I said, you know what? Blazers are big this upcoming fall and winter, like we talked about in our um, episode about fall trends. Mm-hmm. It had like this really pretty check pattern. It was pink with black, like a very muted pink and black. It had um, a little bit of an exaggerated sleeve. It had a stretch to it. Like it was a really good good piece and it was new at tag and I the price tag on it was like 200 something like something ridiculous because it's been in a republic right so everything's gonna be priced really high so I said to myself all right I'm gonna pick it up based off of style alone forget the brand I'm gonna pick it up off of style but I'm gonna price it high because everything that I see online when I was doing my research showed that it sold between 60 to 150 dollars and I was like just a fluke like you know like sometimes you don't know some people just really love the brand and will pay whatever So I listed it and within 24 hours, it sold for full asking price of $125. Like that completely shocked me because I do not pick up Banana Republic. I picked it up solely based on styles. It was new with tag. And uh, I'm not going to say this happens every time with the Banana Republic laser, but for this specific one, it worked in my favor. I mean, I did a little research, but I wasn't like... What was your buy cost? This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Cost $5. 
Holy shit. Wow. That's good. What is my mouth today? That's all right. You can be potty mouth tonight. I'm tired. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> like, awesome, Daniela. That, that's just, it's not a piece I would normally pick up. I looked up some comps, but not really because Banana Republic comps are typically really low. I mean, you're not going to find- Sometimes it's really just good. timing is everything. Like you get yeah. those pieces, you happen to get the right size for the right person who's looking at it and you list it and it gets pushed to the top because it's a new listing and boom, it goes, you know? And that's kind of the name of the game. I mean, I feel like for me, pricing is almost like it's a game. It's okay. I'm going to price at this and I'm going to see what happens. And if I start getting a lot of low offers, that's my cue to, to probably change my price because it's probably too high. Yeah. I mean, and it's tricky because it's almost like the slot machines when you Mm -hmm. pull that, when you put your coins in and then you price something high and it sells right away, then it makes you want to price it high the next time. But it, you know, some t- and but if you're willing to sit on things, you you can wait. I mean, sometimes for me, I don't know why I sit on stuff. Sometimes I'm just like, just let it go, just get it, you know, just get rid of it so you can go sourcing again. Get rid of, you know, and mm-hmm. it depends though, you know. And sometimes, like I had a pair of shorts that I had listed for thirty two dollars. They were vintage um, swim trunks that somebody had already sent me a twenty dollar offer on them. And I countered only because Rocco said he wanted the shorts and then he never wore them. I should have sold them for 20 bucks. I bought them at the bins. So I have them listed at like 32. Um, But this was the second offer I got today. Someone offered me $10 and it just annoyed me that I had something priced at 32 and they, so I countered at 30 just to be a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I do the same thing. It's fine. Or I do the minus a dollar thing. Like it's priced at 30. I'm going to send you an offer for 29. Thank you very much. Yeah, Like, and honestly, if they had even sent me half off, if they had sent me like $16, I would have countered and probably sold them for 20. You know what I mean? But because they offered me such a low thing. So, but again, that's a function of, yeah, you know, I can sit on stuff a little bit longer and Mm -hmm. I I was in a mood. So that's, that's how I responded. (laughs) I'm going to talk about a pair of boots that is surprised me for how long it sat and maybe I need to rethink my pricing strategy. So we're going to, we're going to talk this through. I have a pair of fry boots. Mm-hmm. They're knee height. They are the Melissa okay. Trapunto leathered riding boot. Uh, they're Melissa boot. Okay. They're like a tan cognac type color. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been sitting for almost a year. I have them priced kind of high, which is probably my first mistake, but I've sent a ton of offers on them and I don't get anything back. I've sent offers as low as like $60 and still haven't gotten anything. Funny, yeah. So I'm a little confused. It's funny you mentioned know. those because I was having this skinny jean debate with Angelina over those <laughs> Levi's 501s. And I said, well, what do people wear with tall riding boots? She goes, well, when tall riding boots come back into fashion, mom, I'll let you know. And I was like, well, Angie, really? no, then, then, then the old lady in me came out. I was like, riding boots are classic. They never go out they of style. Are. They never go out of style. Maybe they, they're not. I've big. worn them for years, years. But so anyway, I remember about, I don't know. I've had my Melissa fry boots. I have these tall fry boots. I've had them for probably three or four years. I remember buying them one week, probably four years ago, because I bought them during one of Angelina's competitions in downtown Boston. I went to the fry store and then I found the ones I liked and I found them cheaper online and ordered them. Classic me. Um, But I remember trying them on, they were like $400. And I think I got them for like 270 and I was so excited. Now, granted, I didn't buy them secondhand. This was four years ago, maybe five. 
So um, I have sold two pairs of Fry riding boots just for reference for you. The first pair were pre-owned and they sold for $115. They were like the classic, you know, chestnut brown. Um, and then I sold a pair of tall, uh, same, same ones in black, new with tag, thinking like, oh my gosh, these were retail arbitrage. I think I paid about 50 and then they only sold for a hundred. Um, well, that's and, disappointing. And it took a while to sell them. So I don't know. I mean, I am a forever love my Melissa Fry boots. Like I yeah. love them. Um, but that's interesting. So I haven't priced at 155, which I know is on the high end, but I did that on purpose. Are they new? Uh, no, they're not new. They're, they're used, but they, they're in really good condition. Even the sole, like they're in really good condition. They, they're fine. There's nothing on them. Like there's no scuffing. It's just got like a little bit of a vintage kind of look to them. And maybe that's why, maybe it's the color. I mean, those look like the ones that I sold. Are those the Melissa's? Yeah. Yeah. These are Melissa's. So I, I, mean, I saw the pair that looks like that. They're called the Philip because I don't no, know. these are called something else. This is like a, it's got the old fry label. Okay. So there, I mean, I so, sold a pair of vintage tall fry boots from the seventies for $70. Those are more recent, but um, can you talk about one more of your pricing strategies? And I have to go give somebody a hug. My friends are here <laughs> to say goodbye to Angelina, um, one of my best friends and her daughter. So I'm just going to run into my kitchen, give them a hug. Yes. If you don't mind talking about your next item, I, I will be right back mind at all um i'm actually let's see let me scroll here and see what i can find let me do an athletic piece okay so this is a good one to talk about um i am not a huge fan of picking up fabletics it's just it just doesn't really move for me but i do make exceptions to this rule as we all do um there's i usually pick up fabletic dresses especially if they're new with tags i generally does well for me or fabletic sports bras that are new at tags um or if it's a sports bra that's under five dollars that i know that um, i can definitely sell so um i picked up this fabletics um dress it is called let me just scroll here the fabletics nema black cotton knit maxi dress it was new at tags it retailed for 79.95 i paid 13 dollars for this um i have it priced at 60 since it was sold for 80 and um, it, it hasn't moved. It has a ton of, a, um, of likes on it. I just relisted it actually the other day because it had like 35 likes on it. This is a Fabletics dress, Lori, that I'm talking about. It's oh, new tag. Um, it was, uh, it retailed for 80 and I have it priced at 60. And, and I kept the pricing the same and I relisted this the other day. Cause I had over 30 likes on it. So I was, I just, I've sent offers and stuff. And this like, and this is where pricing and items can be so frustrating. It's like, okay, so do I just relist this again and just list it at 40 bucks and call it a day? But like the comps on it are actually really good. So it's just like, I just gotta wait for the right buyer. Am I going to be patient enough to wait for the right buyer? And I think for this specific piece, um, because it's such a, like a classic, athletic style dress that like Athleta sells, Lululemon sells, like it's a very similar style to like a long maxi dress that any of those other brands would sell. I think I'm just going to sit on it and I'm going to wait. And that's a decision that I'm okay with. Um, but I think if it was a piece that was a little more obscure, that would be more difficult to sell. Maybe I would just delete it and then list it again at like 40, 45 and call it a what day. Do you have it priced at? 60. It retailed for 80 and the comps are between like 45 and 55. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know. It's tough. I, I believe it was. Fabletics still, um, is a tough brand. I've had certain Fabletics exactly go quickly. It's yeah. almost like Zara to me. Like there are pieces that people are excited about that sell quickly. And then there are ones that just sit around forever. So it's tough. And a lot of this can be brand specific to or like categories within brands. I feel like we could have an 18 hour episode about pricing strategies because it literally can be broken down by brand category. Like are there blogger favorites? Like with Zara, for example, there are some pieces from Zara that maybe only retailed for 50, but they're selling for a hundred because Kate Middleton wore it, you know, or it was on a, it was on a show on TV and a bunch of celebrities wore this piece. And, you know, but then like, I agree with that, but then who is really taking the time to actually, I mean, that's where so much research comes in. So then that begs Which the we question. we talked about too. Do we spend the time on research or do we not? spend the time researching those pieces? Well, I mean, I guess if you stumble upon it, you do, right? Yeah. You don't like seek it out, but if you happen to come across a Zara piece and it looks unique, um, you know, it's funny, we walked through Zara yesterday too. And Angie's like, I am just not a Zara girl. She's like, and my friends live for it. Like one of her friends had posted in her st- story, like Zara, please sponsor me. Cause she had gone like back to school <laughs> shopping and her bed was like covered with Zara. And we walked through and like, I, I don't know. She, it's I don't know. It's not Angie's vibe though. It's definitely not Angie's vibe. I don't know. Maybe Angie's just more a little bit of a hippie. I, I don't know. But, yeah. um, but no, they had really cute pieces in there. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I don't know. I, I picked up a Zara piece in that pit and I've sold some, but Zara, Zara is a tough brand for me. See, I have fun with Zara, but I also took time to like research and understand what's a blogger favorite and what is a potential piece that could become a blogger favorite. But that took like time out of my day to research this over time and like understand it's usually Zara blazers, Zara dresses and Zara shoes like those are the three things that are typically blogger favorites guaranteed most boots that look like Doc Martens that are Zara are probably going to be a blogger favorite because it's a great dupe for a Doc Martin right you know like there are certain things that you learn along the way or like some of the floral bohemian style dresses can mimic like Zimmerman or um mm-hmm. Ula Johnson like they can mimic a lot of those styles mm-hmm. so yeah but Zara can be tough yeah, I mean, I think my my top selling Zara pieces have been jackets and boots. Yeah, that's that's and generally like the tops and the pants, like the basics that just kind of sit around. Mm, yeah, I agree. Zara's tough to price too because it's priced differently depending on the country it was sold in. So sometimes yeah. you can't find the U.S. version. You find like the U.K. or that's the Australian, and it's like then you think that would do something special because it's like the U.K. version. <laughs> yeah, and you're like. Nope, it's not. <laughs> yeah. What's so your I next? Have, um, I I have uh, the little vintage rust beret that I wore. Oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one to talk I about. I have that priced at fifty dollars, and vintage is is one of those things that I could have priced that at twenty. I could have priced it a hundred and twenty. And if you go on yeah. Etsy and you look at vintage, you'll see the variety of pricing and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did look at there. There were a lot of just um, so it was made in France. Mm-hmm. It is wool, 100% wool. So you're looking at like origin of design. You know, it's from right. Europe. Fabric it is, content. It, it is wool. It The color was very different. There were a lot of gray berets, black berets, even red. But this rust, I didn't see a single rust one. And it was, you know, it was made in France. So there were a lot of sold comps that I saw around the $30 mark. 
And I thought for sure that this was worth at least $10 more. Um, I had somebody message me who had seen my video and said, you know, just want to give you a heads up. Those berets are very valuable, like summer price between 60 and 75. And I just personally didn't want to go that high given my low cost of goods. I'd rather move it. So um, fall's coming up and yeah, I have it priced at $50 and I have just one like on it. And I'm sure I sent an offer for 20% off with discounted shipping and it didn't sell. So we'll see how it does through the fall. I would probably sit on this through Thanksgiving, this color, um, this season. And then if it doesn't sell by like mid-November, I would really consider dropping the price on it. But um, would you think of about selling it anywhere else, which can also go into pricing strategy, just to throw that out there, because you can post the same item to different sites with different prices, because that it, depending on the piece, that, that can work. Not an Etsy girl. I probably would price it higher on Etsy, but I don't mm. sell on Etsy. And sometimes I'll price things higher on eBay. I know a lot of people price things lower on eBay. I price things higher on eBay too. I price things higher for a couple of reasons. I feel very connected to my community on Poshmark. And oftentimes I'll have people say, oh, Lori, I saw whatever in a video. When are you going to list it? And I hate when that happens because it impacts how I want to price it on Poshmark because I'm like, well, this is a regular, you know, this is somebody who supports my channel, has bought from me before. She knows that I know that she wants it and I don't want to price it super high now, you know, where, um, but this, that's where my lack of efficiency comes in. If I had it priced, they could just go buy it or make a decision, you know, (laughs) but then on the same token, I'm definitely going to give this person at least 20% off, right? Because they're coming from YouTube. They're going to get discounted shipping. There's no way around it. They're going to get discounted shipping. And I don't want to price it too low in case they they see it and they decide they don't want it. You know what I mean? So it kind of messes with me a little bit as much as I appreciate it and love it. It's, it's a perk of having a YouTube channel that can then, you know, convert to sales. Um, But on eBay, I don't really share my eBay store very often. It's not a secret, but I just, I don't put as much love into my eBay store and I'm I'm kind of a mess over there. So I price it higher sometimes because also I think you have international buyers. You have just people, I tend to, you know, things sell for higher prices sometimes on eBay, just because I, I just think the culture is slightly different. Now that $10 offer on the vintage shorts came through today. That was on eBay. So, you know, I get my fair share of lowball offers on eBay as well, but I do sell a lot of things full price over on eBay. So sometimes I'll price higher over there. Yeah. And I definitely have way more international shoppers on, well, obviously because Poshmark doesn't have it yet. I'm sure they will someday um, with the direction that they're moving in opening, you know, Poshmark across the world basically now. But um, yeah, I definitely do that too. I think there are certain brands like um, I would say like coach, for example, can do better on eBay. Dunian Burke can do better on eBay. Uh, Brahmin can do better on eBay. That's my experience with handbags. I've also found that like um, certain, I guess, mid tiered luxury designer type pieces generally sell for full price on eBay. Um, designer goods do sell a lot better on eBay than they do on Poshmark. And I think it's because of two reasons. One, there's a lot of fakes on Poshmark. Mm-hmm. You saw my Instagram post the other day where I was just scrolling through Dior and it was just all fakes for like days on yeah, end. I did a whole Instagram post on that. with just, Lily Tana. It's, it's a lot. It's probably the same people. Yeah, but, yeah. but I will say with Poshmark, I, I mean, just all the coach and all the Dooney, you mentioned them, they all sold for me on Poshmark. 
Yeah, that's good. I mean, that $325 bag, that was a Poshmark sale. Yeah, Poshmark. I, I, I sold, I don't think I sold a single piece on eBay, but I don't know how many got cross posted over there. Yeah. So, there. so speaking I, of coach, go, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No. And I, and I did just recently buy that Givenchy bag, the, the yes. Antigona and, um, I'm still actually nervous about Poshmark's authentication. Like I, mm. even though it went there, I paid 500, it was authenticated at Poshmark and it's being shipped to me um, right now. I'm still a little nervous. I, I want to trust, trust Poshmark's authentication because the bag, you know, it sells pretty regularly around a thousand dollars. And um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. This is this is a first time for me. Um, yeah, it'll definitely be a test to see. And I mean, you'll get to do your own authentication and you'll be able to tell immediately if it's fake. So it'll be interesting. I don't know if I'll be able to tell immediately because I don't know this brand very well. I've been eyeing this bag for a little bit um, and I I've, I've, don't think I've ever seen one live. So I don't know. I mean, I have ways of like looking and stuff. Yes, of course. I'll look at the stitching. I'll look at, you know, the, the content, the way it feels, the liner and all that yeah. stuff. I'll look at all that, but I still might go to like Saks or something and see if there's yeah. one in store that I can compare it to, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. The thing I want to talk about, cause we brought up coach is um, pricing when it comes to coach coach bags. Um, for me, I generally price my coach bags really high for two reasons. One, because I typically pick up vintage coach. I don't really pick up a lot of modern coach, even if they're mm -hmm. all leather, I'll pick up some, but I'm mostly a vintage coach person when it comes mm -hmm. to resale. And um, I've always sold my vintage coaches between a hundred to 200, depending on the piece. And just like Lori said, she just sold hers for three and change. So, you know, the, the pieces definitely matter. Um, the only difficulty I have when it comes to pricing and like understanding how to price these pieces is doing the back end work and understanding which vintage coach piece I have. Because mm. coach has been around for so long and it can get very overwhelming looking at all of the research and looking at all the videos and the websites and understanding which style it is that you have and how the leather was made at that time and like all these different things like this is where I this is like my bottleneck when it comes to coach in particular because I can spend hours just trying to understand how to even price this where I probably should just list it and list it at a price that I think is fair and call it a day but I don't want to be in a situation where it's rare and now I'm pricing it at $100 but it's really worth $400 do you know what I mean like this is where I struggle when it comes to pricing with coach I mean, the serial number on the inside really does help quite a bit. Um, yeah. If it was, you know, that that will lead you to, um, in, you know, a style. Most of the time, the ones that were made in New York City, it was like pre-serial number. So those are- Johnny Cashin. Those are the ones that don't, um, they don't correspond with a yeah. style number. Um, and, you know, Google Lens helps sometimes. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to do your homework with with Coach. And it runs the whole gamut. I mean, I've sold Coach bags for $30 and for $320. So we're all over the place. And sometimes if I start high with Coach, there's a, there's a limited edition suede Coach legacy bag uh, mm -hmm. that came out. It was like an anniversary edition that I have listed for 150 it's not like even priced crazy um and it has gotten an enormous amount of attention but still has not sold on either site and it's just one of those 
bags that I don't want to let it go for less because my mother-in-law gave it to me and I know it was special to her. And it's one of those, like where the hardware is like crazy, crazy heavy. And it's got the striped liner. Maybe it's the heritage collection or legacy. I'm not sure. Um, But anyways, like, so, and that's one When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply that I've been sitting on for quite a while. And then like the binocular bag sold really quickly. And then the, um, the courier bag also sold really quickly. And it, you know, like if you have the Willis or, or something like that, there are certain ones like you don't know until you have it sometimes. And then mm-hmm. you start doing the research and you're like, Oh, I have something special here. And now they're making newer versions of old classics. Too. They are, they are. And I just have this conversation with Lori the other day I have a Willis that I found and I priced it really high and it gets a ton of attention and a ton of likes no offers because a Willis bag is like it's like an iconic coach piece right like and they're not you can come across them but now they're making new ones so this is a vintage one and I made the decision the other day to just add it to my collection and I'm not going to sell it like I I don't think I could accept a low offer on it because I just love it so much right I'm trying to think there was, there was, I didn't know the Willis bag was a thing, to be honest. Oh, it was the Winnie bag. <laughs> the, that I got. Thing, the Willis bag. Um, I got the Winnie one. bag, which is yes. smaller. Yeah. And um, this was funny because I think I paid like five or six bucks for it at Savers and I listed it for $125 and I ate dinner and I came back and it was gone. And it was old. I remember the story. Yeah. And this was one of those bags that I was like, oh man, like I, I, I would have never priced it at 125 if I hadn't done a little research because it was a yeah. tiny little bag. It was like just before I felt like coach kind of was booming a little like it is right now, maybe six months ago. I don't even know, but um, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. I was surprised by the comps on it. So I was really like throwing up that 125 to see what would stick full well thinking that, oh, I, I may end up selling this for like 75 or whatever. And wow. yeah, then it made me think I should have priced it higher. Who the heck knows? Coaches, coaches, a beast. There's a it lot. Is. To it. I think a lot of these brands, classic brands, they're really all over the place. Like we could never tell you what to price things at ever. Yeah. It's worth doing them. your research on. I mean, if you come across something, don't, don't hesitate to really look into it, you know, because it, the tricky part about that is again, to get back to like, how much time do you really want to spend? You know, look at the sold comps and go from there. Look at the, the condition of what you purchased. Um, you know, if you have a color that's unique or more desirable or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun little game. <laughs> it is. I, mean, I think what bills do you have to pay that month? You know? Exactly. What do you have to pay? What What's on your agenda? How much inventory do you have sitting? Like, what do you want to move? How quickly do you want to move things? Like all of these play a part into pricing strategies. And I think that's really the whole like moral of the story to this episode is a, this is unique to every person, every business, and, and it's just different for everyone. Mm-hmm. B, it there's a lot of factors that go into it. Like we just said, do you need to move things? Do you need the cash flow? Like what's happening in, in your business and in your life? Um, and like, what's your business model? Is it 
like Lori and I, we were kind of like, yeah, we like to flip things quick, but we also like to hold on to some pieces because we understand the value of them. And maybe we don't want to let them go right away until that special buyer comes around. Or you someone that just wants to flip quickly and, and just keep getting that capital and get more inventory. Like that's, it, it just varies. Yeah. And I'll be honest too. This is kind of a, a weird, just a weird Lori thing. Um, there are certain things that like, I'm not a huge outdoorsy person. Like, so for example, like keen shoes or like LL Bean windbreakers or Columbia, like those brands just don't do it for me, mm-hmm. but I realize the value in them. So sometimes I'll pick them up and I price them to sell them because I just want them gone from my closet. Like that's a very, that's an immature attitude to have towards certain brands, (laughs) but there are certain things that I'm like, like, I, I know I need to pick it up because it's a good price. It's good quality. It's going to sell. It's Mm -hmm. sought after, but it's still just not me. So I'll buy it and then I'll price it to sell. And then it'll just like, you know, I just get that. I should probably use that strategy with more things. I'd sell a whole hell of a lot more stuff. I feel the Um, same way. Sometimes I feel like I'm so stuck in my ways and so stuck in the way that I price things that I probably would sell way more if I just gave in a little bit and like didn't have so much control over. Like I'm a control freak when it comes to my pricing. I am a control freak. I admit it. Well, here's a good example of something that recently sold. I bought those croc heels. Yeah, yeah. First of all, can I just say that luxury brands like Balenciaga are coming out with very similar, like either jelly heels or croc heels. It's very strange to me, but continue. Yeah. Well, I priced them at $50, but I was like, because I know they're kind of a rare thing and I know people, you know, look for them. People like weird and people like rare. Yeah. And, but I mean, I got a $30 offer and I took it and I paid $8 for them. I didn't even counter. I was just like, yeah, you can tell but, but Crocs is one of those things. Like I don't have a single, I have one pair of Crocs right now that are in my closet and they're probably the coolest Crocs ever. They're slides and they have like, oh, the ones that were in your hall, right? They were in my recent hall, but to me, they're the coolest Crocs ever. And those are the only, I haven't priced at $55, but, um, but Crocs freaking sell for me. No, it's They're crazy, sexy, right? But they, they always sell, you know? So, but I do let them go because. They don't excite you in the same way as something else. Exactly. So that's, that's a low pricing strategy. Would you let Doc Martens go for such a low price? Never. Nope. Would never that's happen. I, I, have that, I have, still have that rare pair that we bought together. Yeah gonna have price just stupid for like four hundred dollars you have those on ebay those really should go on ebay i know they should be relisted they've never been relisted do you want to know how many likes they have this is where i a ton i'm the worst with this stuff this also goes into pricing strategy fyi is it time to relist and maybe readjust they have 46 likes i mean so there's interest in them so it's the price maybe Maybe one of the problems is the size is worn off yeah so I like measured the bottom and estimated the size, but I mean, I've sent out 50% off offers on this and still nothing. So, I mean, if they're not mm. selling for two twenty five, I need to relist them and I need to drop the price. Yeah. Maybe list it at one fifty and go from there. <gasps> I, know. I know, I know. But listen, I've sold made in England Doc Martens for one fifty one seventy five, And those are like, those are super rare. Yeah, but these are like... I know, they're really unique. They're Van Gogh. They're pretty awesome. This is artwork. It is. It is um, pretty awesome. Yeah. But I mean, hey, if I got... I would put them on eBay. eBay. I might take them. I think I paid like 30 for them. I'd put them on eBay. All right. I they will. need to go on eBay. Because an international buyer might really like those. Like I'm thinking like someone from like Asia, someone like North Korea, South Korea, like they love that. Japan, they love that kind of stuff. Mm. They love American fashion like that. 
Yeah, I had to, I have to get on that. <laughs> Lori's like, let me just let me just add it to my list. Oh my gosh, I am no like problem. totally in the mode. Like I can't do a damn thing until I get my kid to college and go visit Anthony in Pittsburgh. I feel like my life is going to like be reborn again on <laughs> September 1st when I come home and buckle down, you know? I know. But with that said, Lori needs to go pack because she's got a busy, busy weekend ahead. And I've been 45 minutes already. I said, Danielle, we should keep it to 45 minutes. I think we're Um, at an hour at this point. So we need to cut it short. Oh my gosh. I feel like we just scratched the surface with this, but hopefully our conversation helped a little. Let's do another episode on pricing. Maybe we'll um, dive a little deeper into something. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it and, um, we'll dive a little deeper because I feel like this is a good, like entry level beginner stage of pricing and how we kind of do it. So we'll chat, we'll figure it out. All right. I feel like I was all over the place, but I mean, sometimes pricing strategies are are all over the place. place. I think that's kind of what this episode's all about is it just, it depends and it's hard. It depends. It depends. It depends. Like if somebody's like, do you sell these? It depends. It depends. I don't know. (laughs) It really, it's true. And um, I think it depends on your capital. I think it depends on just so many different things. I will. The one organized thing about me are my five pillars. Like I, this oh, is yes, your five pillars are going to say them again. So people so remember these, what they are. these are actually what I do consider every time I buy something. Um, your home runs are the ones that check every box. Very rarely does everything check every box, but Correct. I look at cost. Um, I look at condition. I look at comps, mm-hmm. cost, condition, comps, style, mm-hmm. brand. Yeah. Are those the five? I think so. But now, which one do you value the highest out of those pillars? Ooh, I think depends. That, it, it depends on the piece, Danielle. I it depends that. on the piece, right? Because if it's a pair of you know, say vintage orange tab Levi's 501s and the condition is beat to hell, in Italy. it's not going to matter to me because they are incredible, you know, but um, it, the the cost would matter but like if I got a piece that was so so special you know you can overlook other things but if it's a Crofts and Barrow new with tag puffer jacket that right. I find at the bins that's from Kohl's well in that case I'm thinking more like oh, I could probably get $30 for this it's it the cost is really low the condition is excellent right. the style is decent the brand yeah. is junk you know what I mean so it it, it depends <laughs> Um, I guess, I guess I value, uh, I can't say one thing because I can't can't look at one thing without looking at the rest. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. You know, like the people who are like, Oh, I look at, I found these Dior shoes at a thrift shop and you have no idea what they paid for them. Yeah. It's great that they're Dior shoes. I could go get a pair of Dior shoes at a, at a, uh, store a consignment store and spend three hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Like that is, and maybe if I'm keeping them for myself, that's fantastic. Like I'm, I don't, I'm not even thinking of anything specific here. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's really hard to look at one without the others. That's think, why they're they hold everything up together. My pillars. <laughs> I agree with you because I think like your example of Dior shoes. Um, well, style is going to matter. What generation of Dior are they from? Are they like super vintage, that weird pointed toe type of Dior shoe that doesn't really sell anymore? Like, yeah, like it's just a lot of that plays into it. And sometimes 
maybe it doesn't matter because that's your aesthetic and that's what you sell. So at that point, maybe cost matters more to you. You know, like exactly. I think it just depends. It, it, it depends. That is, like if it had those, if it had that pointed toe and it was the super narrow shoe that, you know, not many people. Triple would... A narrow. But right. if I found it at Savers for $5, I would still be over the moon because it was right. Dior and I wouldn't care what the style was. Like I found a pair of Gucci loafers for $5 at Savers and they sat for a while. And in the end, I I don't know what they sold for, but I was thrilled just because they were Gucci and I found them at Savers for five bucks. Like that was really exciting. Now I just got bags back from the real real today. They didn't take a single, not one. I sent them four Christian Dior vintage blazers. They sent them all back. Really? One of them was a linen vertical striped blazer that was out of this world. Fantastic sent them all back. All right. So you need to send them back in because whoever opened that box, or maybe they have a surplus of them. I doubt it. They just took my Christian Dior vintage that was vertical pinstripes and it was wool and they took it and it sold and they priced it like over 300. Yeah. I am. I was flabbergasted. They That's sent weird. every Dior piece home. They kept like a mangy tie from Christian Dior with stains on the back of it. I mean, it sold for $25, but me. Well, it's not like, bad for a tie. No, I was fine with that. I wasn't listing it. But like my my point being like, it was, I don't know what they were on when they took my box in, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to send it's it It's also back. biased. You got to remember that it's very biased. So depends yeah. on the person. So you do it the Daniela way and you send it back in. <laughs> the Daniela way. I love <laughs> it. I'm going to do it the Daniela way. Yes. Everyone should do it the Daniela way and just send things back in. <laughs> Hey, it works for you. It does. All right, guys, that's it for this episode about pricing strategies. Hopefully it was helpful. Um, If you guys want to hear more about our pricing strategies or maybe in a more specific sense, let us know, send us a message um, and we will get on that. Uh, We're recording this on a totally different night because Lori's going away. So um, I will mention the Patreon members after we're done recording, it'll be a separate little clip. Oh, Oh. I'll she put it in at the end the hook early tonight so that we know because I, I, someone might join at the end of the week. So we're going to yeah. wait. We're going to wait. Thank you, Sunday. Danielle, for your recommendation. This was a fun topic and yes. definitely something we can revisit. And for sure, maybe in on Instagram, when this post is up, mm-hmm. um, maybe people can revisit the post and just write some questions. If you have anything specific you'd like us to talk about um, when it comes to pricing strategies in the future. Yeah, let us know. We'll definitely do another episode on this because this is, we can talk about it all day long. All day long. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you being here. All right, we'll talk next time. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Daniela and I wanted to give a special shout out here at the end of the episode to our newest Patreon members. Okay, here we go. We had quite a few of them this week, so it's super exciting. First name we have, I am so sorry if I mispronounce it, Delane, Delon. I don't know, but it's beautiful. Julia, Cassandra, or Cassandra, Adriana, Claire, and Marilyn. Thank you again so much to everyone who has joined our Patreon family. We love having you guys there. If you're interested in joining our little fam, uh, please click the link in the show notes. We would love to have you there, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. This is just a reminder that Thrifters Villa's Patreon is officially live. You can find us on patreon.com backslash Thrifters Villa. It is just $5 a month where we're going to offer you bonus content, extra episodes, a free downloadable a month, and live events. So make sure to check us out there and we will see you next week.